0: Well, hey, everybody, if we don't know each other yet, my name is Jamie, and I'm the pastor. I get to be the pastor of East Cobb Church, and uh, like John said, for those of you that were Easter, what a special time. It was really, really fun, um, and uh, if you sat in overflow, sorry. You know, we were just, there's no idea that, that many people were going to show up. It was incredible, so um, very thankful. What a special time to worship together. Hey, a quick story before we get going today... Um, the other day, my dog got out of the house. Uh, him, we have a dog named Kobe. In fact, this is my dog, Kobe. And... Uh... Does anybody have a dog that like lives in like relative luxury, but every once in a while has this random desire to just sprint straight towards you know like loneliness, fear, danger, and starvation? Well, my, my dog is like ninety nine percent of the time just happy at home, and every once in a while he's like, nah, bam, you know, just flies out the door. Well, it was and it was Cashman's fault. This is my son Cashman, and he left the door open. And of course, you know, it's never at a good time, parents. It's never like, hey, we're chilling at home on Saturday. It's like, we have to be somewhere in 10 minutes and now our dog's going to die. So like, we're having to go find Kobe. And and, and so I had Cashman, like Cashman, you got to go get Kobe. I'm, you know, daddy's getting ready. So he gets out there trying to get our dog back. And the dog doesn't like run away, way. He just, you know, starts running around the yard and stiff and stuff in, uh, in, in the neighborhood. So Cashman's out there running after Kobe, but he can't catch him because Kobe's a little faster um, than all of us and so he comes back really discouraged and, and I I was like you want to know the secret to how to get Kobe back you know there's a secret right and he was like what and I was like well if you want to get Kobe the secret is don't run after him you got to run away from him yeah I'm like run away from you and my son looked at me like I was the dumbest human being on the planet Earth. Has anybody's kid mastered that look where they're like, like, how, I didn't, this is a new low of dumb, dad. Like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's the secret. If you want to get, you gotta, you gotta run away from him. And he's like, how am I going to catch the dog by running away from him? I'm like, just, Trust me and try it. Well, you know, sure enough, he did. He got Kobe's attention. Then he just booked it back to the house. And Kobe was like, Chase, just, you know, ran down the street, ran into the house. And I was like, thank you very much, you know, dad wisdom. And uh, I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that, either, you know, to you in your life or as with, you know, one of your children or whatever, where you had made up your mind that you were going to do something one way. And then someone came along and they were like, nah, you should do it a different way. You should do it this way. And it sounded crazy. I mean, just like my son, he's like, you're crazy. And, and yet you tried out their way and you were like, oh, crud, they were totally right. They were right, I had no idea. And I bring that up and I, you know, I start with that story because that's what we're gonna be talking about for the next three weeks, this one included. For the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about those kinds of moments because it turns out that's exactly what it was like to be around Jesus. Jesus like had this way of, of telling you to do something in a way that nobody would think to do it, that nobody would even try to do it. You'd be like, no, no, no way. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Jesus would say things like this. He would say things like, Hey, when it comes to your enemies, you know how everybody's like agrees that you don't like your enemies and you're not good to your enemies? I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good to them. I want you to be generous to them, all right? That's what I want you to do. It's like, what? No. Hey, hey, you know how like when it comes to your possessions, you know how most people, they, uh, they spend all of their energy and they get so worried and focused on making ends meet and getting that nest egg and growing it and growing it and growing it and growing it. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to stop worrying about it. Don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear you go seek first God and his kingdom and put him first. I'm telling you, the rest just take care of itself. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you awake? Have you been paying attention? Or hey, 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 you know when it comes to those who wrong you? I'm talking people that like offend you, strangers, family members. You know how everybody kind of thinks that you get even? That's like everybody agrees. Well, you, you, you get even. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, that kind of stuff. Jesus is like, hey, but here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to not... Like, hey, when somebody hits you on one cheek, I want you to turn the other one to them. When they force you to go one mile, I want you to go second mile. I want you to stop getting even. Nah, what? No, that's not. Or hey, when it comes to being blessed and being happy, you know how everybody thinks it's like, it's, it's what? It's money, it's power, it's opportunity, it's the, the fun stuff that I get to do. Jesus is like, hey, you want to know who's blessed? You want to know who's really happy in this life? I'm telling you it's the poor in spirit. I'm telling you it's the peacemakers, huh? I'm telling you it's the meek. No, it's not. I'm telling you it's the people that are hungry and thirsty for doing the right thing. Those are the blessed people. You should spend all your energy trying to be like them. That's how, that's how you'd be happy in this life. It's like, you know, again, what? Those are just a few of the most famous quotes from Jesus' keynote sermon uh, that many of you have read before, that many of you know the name of before. It's called the Sermon on the... Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus' keynote sermon that he didn't just preach that one time. It was a sermon that he would preach in part or in whole pretty much everywhere he went, any town that he went into. He, the people, they would get this sermon. This was his message. This was his manifesto. And so you can, you can imagine... Like the impact that this had on people as he was traveling all around Judea, you know, going from town to town. You start out all excited, like, oh, we're going to go hear the, like, the latest, coolest preacher I mean, he's going to give us some great tweets and stuff. I hope he does one of those miracles we've heard about. And then by the time the guy gets done speaking, literally everybody in the, everybody in the places is, is uncomfortable. Cause this wasn't your normal sermon. Was it your normal sermon? It was really clear. Jesus wasn't just teaching some scriptures. He was teaching a way. He he was teaching a way of living and a way of being and a way of treating people. And all you had to do was listen for like two minutes to quickly discover that Jesus' way wasn't your way. That Jesus' way wasn't the way of the rest of the world. It wasn't the way of the majority. It wasn't the way of most people that you knew. Like, you very quickly came to understand that. And though it sounded good, right? You know, it sounded godly, of course. It also sounded kind of impossible. It sounded really impractical. you know, people are all left sitting there going, "Yeah, but, but Jesus, who does this? Like nobody lives this way. Nobody does this. That's like too crazy, That's too extreme. That's too risky. That's too naive, and I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's never going to work. That oh, is never, never going to work. But at the end of this sermon, this keynote sermon, this manifesto of Jesus. He asks them to trust him. Some of you know these words. He said these words. They're famous. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, these, these crazy, unsettling, uh, counterintuitive words of mine and puts them into practice, like actually goes and does them. They're like a wise man, a wise woman who built their house on the rock. And when the storms of life come, the big decisions, the hard times, the challenges come, the house will stand. It's like, hey, I'm daring you need to trust me and try it and those who did those who built on the rock those who lived this way they were the first followers of jesus and that was christianity in the days after the resurrection that was christianity in like the weeks and the months and even years after easter that we just celebrated um it was that in fact if you had gone back there did you know they weren't even called christians at first did you know that um, like if you were somehow able to travel back into the time into the days or the weeks and months after the resurrection, after Easter, and you started looking for Christians, you wouldn't find one. Isn't that crazy? You start asking around like, hey, 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 where are the Christians? Like you're in Jerusalem. So you might know where the Christians are. They would be been like, I have no idea what you're talking about because they weren't called Christians. But if you asked around a little more, what you would have heard uh, were whispers of this right here, something called the way, the way. And no, I'm not talking about um, a Mandalorian with Baby Yoda. This is the way. So go ahead and get that out of my system as a Star Wars nerd. That's actually not what I'm talking about. Uh, You would have heard whispers of the way. A group of people who believed that a rabbi from Nazareth was actually God in the flesh who died on a cross for the sins of the world and who rose from the dead to start something brand new. And not just a new belief system, a new way. A brand new way of of living and being and treating people that was from heaven, that was itself the kingdom of heaven come to earth. The kingdom that Jesus said didn't start in palaces or in thrones or with nations and armies, but one that was meant to start right here in the human soul and the human heart and, and then make its way out into our lives and our decisions and our relationships and our families and our neighborhoods and the whole wide world. The point is, week after Easter, here we are. If you'd shown up a week after Easter and said, hey guys, cool, I'm a Christian too. Not only would you have to explain the term, but if you had said, hey, I'm a Christian, but you didn't walk in the way, everybody around me would like, well, well mate, no, you're not. Well, I mean, you can't, you, you can't be. Because Christianity isn't just something you believe. No, 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 this isn't just... Something you believe, though, that's certainly important, right? Massively important. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for the sins of the world and rose from the dead to give us new and everlasting life. I mean, that's what we believe, and that's very important, but that's just the starting line. Like, that's just the kickoff to the game. Christianity isn't just something you believe. No, no, it is someone you follow. It's someone you you follow. Someone whose way... You walk in someone whose way you follow, and by the way, that's how they got their name, Christians. Did you know that? I, I didn't know this for a longest time. Christians were first called Christians in the city of, of Antioch, and the people of Antioch gave the followers of the way—that's what they're called—followers of the way. They gave them the name Christian as a political designation, in the same way that they would have said, "Oh, you're like a Republicanian, uh, and you're a Democratian." Well, apparently, you guys are Christians because you—you know—you sworn allegiance to and you've dedicated your lives to this. This Christ, you do what he says. That's how they got the name. That's how we got the name Christians because they were followers of the crazy counterintuitive, who even does that way of Jesus? And why did they follow the crazy counterintuitive, nobody does that way of Jesus? Because they thought it was better. They thought it was Better like they believed that it worked they believed that it was the solution for the present and it was hope for the future that it was the way that we were created to walk in and the way that god was calling us to return to today they were convinced in their hearts that they had a better way for the whole wide world and it in fact would change the whole wide world and so that's the question, as we start this series, and for the next couple of weeks, that's the question of today, the question I, in the end of the day, I hope you go home with and hope you think about for a little bit today, or maybe tonight at dinner, or tomorrow as you're doing whatever you do, this is the question, what way are you walking? What way are you walking? For all of us in the room, what way are you walking? Because we're all walking away, right? No, yeah, I'll go back. Um... We're all walking away. Like we're living and making choices and navigating our relationships and handling our challenges and pursuing our future according to some way. We're all walking in a way. Question, what way are you walking? I think that's a question worth asking. I think it's a pretty relevant question because here's the deal. We would all agree that this is true or maybe has very recently been true if it's not true right now. Uh, That many of us are walking in ways that aren't working. Right? Like, Am I the only one in the room that would say yes? I have this tendency and this history, and maybe even a current reality of walking in ways that aren't working, in ways that are not taking me where I like want to go, where where I where I thought they would, would take me, where I dreamed of it taking me. Like many of us are, are doing that right now, and we, and we know it. We know it. Many of us are walking in a way in our marriage that's not best for our marriage. Many of us are walking in a way in our relationships that's not best for our self-esteem or our self-worth. Many of us right now, we're walking in a particular way in how we treat people that doesn't leave people better than we found us. Some of of us, when we found them. Some of us, uh, we're walking in a way in our career right now that isn't what's best for our career. Or maybe it's just not best for our character. Or maybe it's not just best for... Our kids. Some of us are walking in ways right now with our decisions that keep piling up regrets, or we're walking in a certain way with our bodies that keeps piling up unhealth, or we're walking in a certain way, I don't know, with our finances that's piling up, literally piling up, piling up debt. Many of us right now, or very recently, or all of us can look in the rearview mirror and think of many times, we'll be walking in ways that aren't working. And we all have our reasons. Like, hey, everybody else is doing it. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one on this way. I'm surrounded by people. Are you kidding me? Everybody does it this way. We all have our excuses. Like, oh man, I'm so busy. Or, oh man, change is so difficult. And on and on and on. But Jesus today is inviting us to walk in a better way. He's inviting you, me, to walk in a better way. And by the way, this isn't just for like non-Christians in the room. You're like, oh, sinners, you need to walk a better way. Like, no, uh, please don't hear that. And don't make that mistake. Hey, if you're a Christian, don't make that mistake today because Christians, listen to me. Um, I I just want to tell you this. It is very uh, possible to be a church attender and not walk in the way of Jesus. It's very possible to be a believer and not walk in the way of Jesus. It's very possible to be a great theologian and not walk in the way of Jesus. It's possible to be a Republican and not walk in the way of Jesus. It's also possible to be a Democrat and not be walking in the way of Jesus. It's totally possible to be a well-known Christian, and everybody knows it. Everybody in Cobb County or Roswell, Woods, wherever you're from, everybody in your neighborhood, on your Facebook page and Instagram knows it's very possible to be a well-known Christian and yet not actually walk in the way of Jesus. And we all know that's true. But here's why I think that's a big deal. Here's why I think this is a big deal to all of us, because what you believe makes all the difference in eternity, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. What you believe makes all the difference in eternity. Absolutely. But how you walk, that's what makes all the difference in the community. You know what I'm saying? What well, you believe, it makes all the difference in eternity, but how you walk makes all the difference in your family. How you walk makes all the difference in your workplace. How you walk makes all the difference in your relationships. It makes all the difference in your finances. It makes all the difference in your regrets. It makes all the difference. Where you walk is what actually makes all the difference in your quality of life. Or just to use some church words, I also wrote it like this What you believe will bring you to heaven how you walk that brings heaven to earth what you believe brings you to heaven but how you walk is what brings heaven to earth and this is what jesus came to do not just to like bring you to heaven he came to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth so if you're a christian i mean this is this is a huge 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 deal it's a big deal to us personally and by the way it's a big deal to east Cobb church it's a huge deal to east Cobb church because what we believe makes us identifiable Right? Like, oh, you believe in Jesus, you're a Christian. But how we walk, that's what makes us and, and, our, and our message and our savior irresistible. And those are two very different things. And hey, if you're a Christian in the room, Jesus is, uh, is, is inviting us, he's commanding us to walk in a better way, to walk in his way. But here's the problem And the problem is this. I was actually talking to one of my friends about this message uh, this week, earlier this week. And uh, he said something that made me pause and it took me aback a little bit. He said, um, you know, if the way of Jesus is in fact better, then why don't more people walk in it? Or specifically, hey, if, if the way of Jesus is better, then why don't more Christians walk in it? Or literally to quote him, he said, it sometimes seems that the church, based on his limited experience, had a lot more believers in Jesus than actual followers of him. And I was like, ouch, yeah. He's right. And here's why. Here's the problem. That um, believing in Jesus is relatively free. You believe. You don't do anything, pay anything, nothing like that. Following him though, it's costly. Believing in Jesus, relatively painless. Following him can be painful. Believing in Jesus, especially here in the South and depending on where you go to school and at church is going to make you fit in, but following him can absolutely make you stand out. Believing in Jesus oftentimes will make you comfortable. I feel great and comfortable in believing in Jesus and the good news of Jesus, but following him, sometimes that can be incredibly, very uncomfortable. Believing in Jesus requires very little, little. following him requires a whole lot, requires much. And that's why. That's why sometimes in the church it seems like, there well, there's a lot of believers, but there's not a ton walking the way. And that's why I, I believe at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, at the end of this manifesto of the way of Jesus, he ends with this parable. There's three parables that he ends with. I already mentioned one, but this is the first one. He has a run of three that he ends right at the very end to try to take away all excuses, try to clarify what he's inviting people to do. And he tells this parable, and this is the one that I think we need to hear Today, uh, and, here, and and this is why he tells it. I believe he says this. This is a parable. This is a metaphor. He says, "Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it." So Jesus says, "Hey, there's a Jesus is saying there's a broad road in life. There's a big old broad road." In life, there's a there's a road that just feels natural to all of us. It is a road that's well lit. It's a road that's well traveled, and it's a road that's well advertised. And most people are on it. It's where most people are. The only problem with this road, Jesus says, is it leads here. Jesus is saying. The natural way of the world, the natural way of the human heart, the natural way of treating people, of gratifying our desires, of acquiring and using power and building our futures and all the stuff that we do, it actually leads to somewhere bad. It leads to destruction. And by the way, we all agree with him. Like we all intuitively agree with that. I mean, it's why we have laws, right? It's why we have courts. It's why we have a bill of rights and police and armies to enforce them. Why? Because the natural way of this world naturally leads to the degradation of, to the erosion of dignity and generosity and compassion and equality and and gentleness and mercy and love and peace and kindness and honesty and self-control and all things like that. Jesus said, yeah, yeah, that's the broad road. Don't you see it? You know it. And we all know it, by the way, because we've all walked it before. I mean, every single one of us is familiar with this road. Every single one of us at one time in our life, we've walked roads that a ton of people were on, right? That a ton of people were celebrating even, that a ton of signs were pointing to and inviting us to, but they led straight to regret. I mean, we were flanked by hundreds of people. Everybody was doing it. Everybody was celebrating it. And But when we got on it, it led straight to pain. It led straight to trouble. It led straight to divorce. It led straight to addiction. It led straight to financial ruin. Oh yeah, we're all there. We are, we're all eyewitnesses of, we're all firsthand experiences of this road. Jesus says there, there is a natural way of the world. There's a broad road in this life, but it ultimately... Leads only one place. It leads to destruction. But then he goes on and says, but <clears throat> small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus said, hey, good news though, the broad road isn't your only option. There is another way. There is a new way, heaven's way that I kicked off at Easter. And it's a lot like a narrow road. I mean, think comparing a highway to a backcountry road. This way, the alternative, it's a lot like a narrow road. It's not well lit. It's not well traveled. It, it's not well advertised. But here's why you take it. Go back, please. Can you go back to the narrow road verse? Um, you would take it because it leads to life. Leads to life. It leads to the life that you're looking for. It leads to the life that you were created for. It leads to the life but Jesus is saying that I paid for on the cross. It leads to a life that is full, a life that is free, and a life that is forever. And don't forget, this is the end of his whole keynote sermon here. And he goes, and by the way, this is the life. This is the narrow way that I've been describing this whole time. And yes, it's different than the broad road. Yes. It sounds a little crazy. Yes. It might seem a a little counterintuitive. And by the way, sure. It is more difficult. Sure. It's going to cause you to stand out a little bit. Sure. It might be uncomfortable. Sure. It might cost you something, but I'm inviting you to follow me on it anyway, because it's better. It leads where you want to go and where I want you to go. And so that's the wake-up call of this parable. The wake-up call of this parable is, hey, there's a broad road and there's a narrow road in life. and, And here's just the principle. The principle is this. You can choose the road you're on, but you can't choose where it leads. You can choose which road you're on. You just don't get to choose where it leads. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, please, 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 don't travel broad road. Don't just join in with where everybody's going and what's popular and what's easy and what's well lit and well advertised and well celebrated. Don't just, don't just without thinking, join in with that. Come walk with me on the narrow road and let's find life together. My friends, that is the invitation of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus. It's not just something to believe in. It's someone to follow. Jesus isn't just inviting you to a belief system, though that's important. He's inviting you to a better Way, And that's what this series is about for the next three weeks. It's about a better way. It's about a better way. And each week is gonna actually have that in it. It's gonna be called the way of blank. And so every week I wanna briefly describe a way of Jesus and today will be briefer than most because I've been setting this up, but um, I wanna describe a way of Jesus and not just explain it though. uh, I hope to actually give you a practical way to start walking in it, whether you're doing that as a follower of Jesus or someone who just wants to try it out. Well, that's my hope for the next three weeks. And I wanna invite you to try out walking in the way of Jesus or double down on walking in the way of Jesus if you already are. Because I really believe this. I believe that if you do, it'll instantly start to make your life better and make you better at life. It'll instantly start to make our community better and your neighborhood better and this place a better place to live that we love where we live. If you do, it'll instantly make your faith more relevant and more alive and more useful to you and those you love. And it'll instantly start making our church and our message and our savior more irresistible. So if you're a Jesus follower in the room, this is a really important series, not because I'm preaching it, but because it's a really important subject matter to Jesus and when the terms or the ways that we're gonna describe in these next three weeks are very important to your faith. They're very important to us as a church and who we're trying to be in the community. These are things that we're gonna ref- continue to reference throughout the life of our church. And so I hope you'll take notes again, not because I'm preaching and, oh, it's so amazing. No, but because these verses are so powerful and so important. By the way, if you're not a Christian, I hope you know that this is really, 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 really for you. I hope you know that. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. Sometimes we forget this kind of stuff. Think back to the day one, the, the, the first, people to meet jesus they tried benefited from and and bought into committed themselves to his way before they ever believed that he was a messiah and you can too and i hope that you will decide to try following jesus even if you don't believe because even if you never do i promise you you will never regret following him it's a better way so three weeks three ways of jesus and today for just a few minutes I want to give you the first one and I only need a few minutes because here's the thing about this first one you already know it but here we go way number one the way of Jesus this narrow road of Jesus the way of Jesus is first and foremost the way of love everybody say the way of love love. everybody say the way of love love. there we go there we go I grew up in a church where you couldn't speak either so I get it Um, The way of love. The way of Jesus is first and foremost the way of love. And listen, like I said, um, this isn't surprising to most of you in the room, especially if you've been around our church for a while. I mean, we talk about this. I literally talk about this almost all the time. It's in the DNA of East Cobb Church. It's literally in our mission statement that John was telling you about love where you live. And it's also not a surprise if you're familiar with the scriptures. Like, here's what I mean John the Apostle. Uh, tells us that God is love. Y'all know that verse. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. He tells us that God is love. Not just loving, not just like lovely. No, like he actually is love. And we are made in God's image. So therefore, if that's true, what then do you imagine is the number one thing we were created to do? Yes, there you go. Love, right? Love. In fact, one time Jesus was asked, Hey, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? What's the number one most important thing to God? And he said these. Very famous words right here. He said, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. They meant to go together, two in one. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. That's the number one thing that God wants you to do is to love. Right here, these three things. Love God, love others, and love self. But then later, Jesus would actually take these three and narrow them down to one. There was a a night, actually the night of the Last Supper. You know, the Leonardo da Vinci painting with all the disciples sitting there like, "Eh," you know. That night, the night Jesus was arrested, he's sitting there with his boys, with his bros, and he looks at his disciples and he says, a new command I give you. These were huge words. Didn't say this every day. Had never said it before. A new command I give you. Brand new, something new. And what he said next would become known as the commandment, the royal law, the, the mission statement of the Jesus movement, the one thing that we're supposed to be known for as his followers. He says, a new command I give you that you love one another. Jesus took three and he narrowed it down to one and he said, this is it. The whole thing is gonna hang on this. I want you to love one another. You know why I love this? Because in one sentence, Jesus made our faith practical and relevant and anchored In the real world. A faith that wasn't just a faith of temples and churches. But a faith of families, neighborhoods and cities. Why? Because he forbade us from retreating into church services, worship songs, and scriptures. He forbade us from retreating into churches and monasteries. He forbade us from retreating into our theology and our, you know, our theology and our beliefs, just hunkering down, waiting for heaven, so confident that we love God because, because he says, no, the number one way that God wants you to show your love for him is by loving one another. The number one way that people are going to know that you love me is by how you love one, another, a new command I give you. Whew. That was a big moment. Now, before you think, well, that's not too crazy. I mean, that's not too demanding. I mean, it's kind of universal. Everybody sort of agrees with that. Like, well, love, love, yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's something that I think everybody's on board with. Uh, wait till you hear the rest of the verse. Because I, I didn't read the whole thing yet. I read the part that's like, feels good. I read the part that's kind of easy to accept and pretty easy to do. This right here, just by itself, this is kind of fluffy, isn't it? It's like love, yay. This is pretty generic. This doesn't have any teeth. This is easy to say you're doing it when you're not because who even knows what it means and what's whose definition It's just less. It feels like a Hallmark card the way that it is, right? Well, unfortunately, Jesus didn't just say that. He adds one little qualifier at the end that makes the way of love a very, very, very narrow way. He adds a qualifier at the end that's about to make this way of love a whole lot more difficult and a whole lot more uncomfortable and a whole lot more demanding for all of us in the room. Uh, Here's the full full, uh, quote of what he says. A new command, I give you, love one another. As I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, by this one standard, by this standard, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers, followers of the way, if you love one another. Did you catch that little way that Jesus made it really hard and difficult, the way that he made it so narrow and demanding? It's right there. Because you see, here's what most people would say. Most people would say, hey, here's what it means to love one another. It, It means this, that you love Go ahead. That you love others the way they love you. That, everybody would more or less go, yeah. I mean, when it comes to loving others, this is a pretty good standard. You're going to love others the way that they love you. That like love is reciprocal. Love is proportional. That love is reflective of and responsive to the other person. And my, you know, my moral obligation to love you, it rises and falls with your treatment of me and the people and the things that I love. Love as others have loved you more or less. And Jesus says, nah, that's the way of the world. That's the broad road. I'm calling you to something better. I'm calling you to love others the way I love you. Uh Uh-oh. I want you to love others the way that I love you. I want you to love others according to Pegged to, you know, equal to the way that I've loved you. In other words, I want you to love others in a way that doesn't change with who they are or how they've treated you. I want you to love others in a way that doesn't even change with who you are or where you are or how you're feeling in the moment. I want you to love as I have loved you. And I, Jesus said, I forgave you in advance. I paid your debts. I was patient all the way unto my own death. I prioritize reconciliation over revenge. I loved you when you didn't love me. I pursued you when you didn't even pursue me. I was generous to you when you were stingy towards me. I believed in you before you ever believed in me. I protected you when you didn't even ask. I forgave you when you didn't even ask. I rose from the dead to offer you new and everlasting life that you didn't even know that you need. That's how I loved you. And these mercies, these mercies, and even ones I didn't mention, these mercies are brand new for you. Every single morning that you wake up, regardless of what happened the day before, That's how I loved you. Now go and do likewise. A new command I give you love one another as I have loved you. And my friends, if we want to follow Jesus, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way of Jesus, the narrow road of Jesus that he's calling to. And it means, I made a list here because I wanted to say it just right. This means that we would abandon the right to hold grudges, that you would abandon the right to hold a grudge and bind yourself to the practice of unfair forgiveness. It means that you would abandon the right to repay evil with evil and bind yourself to overcoming evil with good. It means that you would abandon the right to see or use anyone as a means to an end and bind yourself to making you the means and others good the end. It means that you would abandon the right to speak your mind and use your words however you want and bind yourself to building others up with how you speak. It means that you would abandon the right to hide behind a phone screen, uh uh-oh, or a car window and treat someone with contempt and you would bind yourself to compassion and to initiate grace in each and every situation. It means that you would abandon the right to give up on someone and bind yourself to the practice of always offering another chance. It means that you would abandon the right to wait for someone else to meet a need and bind yourself to being a part of the solution and going first. It means that you would abandon the right to put people in a category and give yourself permission to hate them or exclude them or simply not prefer them and you would bind yourself to only one single category that everyone is someone made in the image of God and everyone is someone paid for by the blood of Jesus, that's the way. And that sounds really difficult. It sounds really extreme. It sounds naive. It probably sounds counterintuitive. And most of your friends, neighbors, and peers maybe would look at that and go, no way. It's never gonna work. They look at you like my son looked at me when I was like, hey, run away from the dog. But here's why you would do it. Here's why you would follow it. Here's why billions of people in history have bound themselves to this way. Here's why. Because this, this one leads to destruction. This is the natural way of the world. It's the broad road. And we have seen every one of us time and time and time and time again and again and again and again how this leads to destruction, how it leads to broken relationships, families, marriages, how it leads to division and disunity in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our country, how it leads to cycles of vengeance and violence, how it leads to racism and oppression, how it leads to us just hating each other and bickering with each other and resenting each other and fighting with each other all the time. I mean, shoot, all of the, the worst injustices in human history have been because of this kind of thinking right here. And here's how the thinking goes. Because they don't like us, or they're not like us, or they have no use to us, or because they've hurt us in the past, or they're a threat to us in the present, then we don't have to love them. Then we don't have to value them. We don't have to make room for them. No, we can hate them, we can hurt them, and we can get rid of them. This is too low a standard for humanity, for people made in the image of God, and that's why it leads to destruction everywhere that it's present and practiced. But this one, this one leads to life. This one leads to life. Like this, this is how reconciliation happens. This is how healing happens. This is how change happens. This is how you break the cycle of vengeance. This is how you break cycles of evil and how you stand against evil. This is the only way out of that rut that you're in with your spouse or that rut that you're in with your kids or your parents or your neighbor or your coworker. I believe this is the only way out of the mess that we're in as a culture. Like it's the, I, this is the only way towards actual solutions, you know, productive dialogue and real healing and change. This is how you get past division. This is how you get past selfishness. This is how you get past indifference. This is how you get past hatred. This is how you get past violence. This is how you get past all the, the, the dysfunctional and sometimes horrific things that the broad road always leads us to. It, it, This is why Dr. Martin Luther King said this, just as he says, one of my favorite quotes outside of the Bible ever. He said this, um, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's the only way out. And how did he know that? He was right. He was 100% right. How did he know that? He was a follower of the way. And why did he hold to this path and this way, even when it cost him everything? Because I think he believed it was better. He believed that it was work. It would work. That it was the only road that would lead all of us to life, to life that's full, to life that's free, and to life that's forever. And church, my friends, uh, I believe the same choices in front of us. I believe the same choices in front of us. There's a broad road, there's a narrow road. We can choose the road we're on, but we don't get to choose where it leads. And Jesus is saying, hey, come on, come on. Follow me, follow me in the narrow road. And let's find life together. Let's bring new life to your marriage. Let's bring new life to your parenting. Let's bring new life to your choices Let's bring new life to your leadership or to your career. Let's bring new life to your neighborhood. Let's bring new life to your community, to this nation. Let's bring new life to your soul. Come follow me in the crazy, counterintuitive way of Jesus. So, as we close, where are you? Where are you walking? In what way are you walking? And is it working? is it working? And if it's not, I would like to suggest, might I suggest that you try the way of Jesus first and foremost, the way of love, even if you don't believe why, because it's better because it'll work. It'll lead you to life and those you love to life. But by the way, if you're a Christian, this is not optional. This is not a suggestion, it's a command. You and I, we gotta stop dabbling in or coasting on the broad road and we gotta start walking in the way of Jesus because everything hangs in the balance. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said about himself and his ministry and the way that he walked. He said this right here. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels... Like, man, you're the greatest preacher in the world. You got the best church sermons in the, services in the world. Your Instagram content is on point. and you know your Bible studies are... If you speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He goes on, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, like I know what everyone needs to do. I know what the Democrats need to do. I know what the Republicans need. I can go issue by issue. And man, every time you're in a conversation, you're slinging truth. But you don't have love... I'm nothing. Or hey, if I've got the faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I uh, give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, like you're serving in three different churches and you're in community, you're full on in ministry, but you don't have love, you gain nothing. Our faith isn't just something that we believe, it's someone we follow. What we believe makes us identifiable, but where we walk, how we walk, that's what makes us and our Savior, irresistible. We gotta walk. We gotta walk. We gotta walk a better way, in the way of Jesus. And to help us all do that, uh, I want to just leave you with this. Right after Paul says these words, he gives us a very famous, a very beautiful, a very poetic, very specific description of love. And I just want to end by reading it. He says this. You've heard this at a wedding, probably. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And that's beautiful. But to make it helpful and to make it maybe personal, and maybe help you identify where you are currently walking and have some changes you might want to make. I want to read it one more time, but I'm going to leave a blank where the word love is. And I'd like you to just put your name in there as I read and see how true it rings. And pay attention to where there's tension, because there'll most likely be some tension there is with me. So let me just read it again. And remember, put your name in the blank in your head or out loud if you want. Blank is patient. Blank is kind. Blank does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. Blank does not dishonor others. Blank is not self-seeking. Blank is not easily angered. Blank keeps no record of wrongs. Blank does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And blank always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. How'd that go? Well, this is the question I want to leave you with. The same question we started with. What way are you walking? And specifically, how and with whom do you need to walk the way of love? How and with whom do you need to walk the way of love? And your assignment, if I could give you an assignment, if I may, I would like to challenge you, invite you to pick one way with one person. And go do it. Go start walking in the way of love. I don't know if it's with your spouse, or with your kids, or it's at work, or with the grudge that you've held forever, or with a group of people that you're so mad about on Twitter and Facebook. I don't know what it is. How and with whom do you need to start walking or double down walking in the way of love? And what if we did? What if we did? Like what if 20% of our community decided to walk this way, the narrow way? I mean, it would, it would change everything. It would change everything. Even half of us started to do it. It would change everything in our community. And before you say, man, nobody would do that. They absolutely did. In the first century, a group of people absolutely walked in this way and it changed the whole wide world. It's still echoing in our laws and in our constitution and in our culture and in our consciences. And now it's our turn. What do you say we walked the narrow way? Walked the way of love. And then come back next week for part two where we'll all get a little more uncomfortable than we already are and, and learning about the way of Jesus. Let me pray for us. And we'll go, Heavenly Father, I pray that you will make it clear to us how specifically you're inviting us to walk in the way of love, that our faith wouldn't just be something we believe, it would be someone that we would follow. And that as a result, we would find together, we would find life. And that as a result, together as a church, we wouldn't just be identifiable, we would be irresistible. Help us do that in Jesus' name, amen.